How are we doing this morning? It's good to see you. My name is Josh Tovey. Um, I have the privilege of overseeing our student ministry here um, at Southbridge. And on September 8th, we're going to be doing our normal school schedule. We're middle school. We're meeting on at 1030 during this service down the hall here. And high school, we'll be meeting on Sunday nights at the church office from 630 to 830. And if you are a middle school or high school student or a parent of one of them, we would totally love and be privileged to have them be a part of the student ministry. Also, if you're in college, we're going to be starting an embrace group for you at the end of September. And uh, so look for more information about that where you can come and connect with uh, other college students. Um, How many of you um, like to read books to your children? Anybody? Nobody? Okay. So maybe it's just like, you know, playing apps and games on the iPad or whatever now is what we do, but um, I would like to read a story to you this morning. Is that okay with everybody? Okay, so I'm going to read a children's story. Uh, It's called Good News, Bad News. We'll actually have it up on the screen for you so you can follow along as we read this really uh, deep, deep book, okay? So uh, here it is. Uh, It says, good news. We have a a bunny bringing a, a picnic to his friend. Bad news, it starts to rain, but good news, he has an umbrella inside his picnic basket. Bad news, it's a little windy. He's he's trying to save him. You can see that there with his arms out. Um, Good news, he fell underneath the tree. Bad news, the apples are falling off the tree onto him. But good news, hey, we can eat these apples. Bad news, there's smiley worms in the apples. Um, Good news, there's funky cake inside the picnic basket. Bad news, there's bees with teeth. Good news, we, I brought a fly swatter in my picnic basket. This is crazy. We know where this is going. Bad news, made a mess. But good news, we can eat that frosting. Bad news, here comes all the bees again. But good news, there's a cave that we can run and hide in. Good news, there's a bear in the cave. Or bad news, sorry, there's a bear in the cave. That's not good, that's bad. So we're going to run away. But good news, we can run up the metal flagpole. Bad news, metal flagpoles aren't smart in storms. Good news, we got struck by lightning, but hey, we can be happy because the bear's going away. Bad, 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 bad news. Bad news, he made his friend cry. But then the sun breaks through. Good news, he's bringing a picnic to his friend. Very good news, they can be friends. It's pretty deep, isn't it? We're just going to pray and we're going to close the service. And, uh, um, but you can buy my copy for $25 if you'd like from me. I'll sell it to you. Um, it's actually right at $16.99 and makes me wonder how come more of us aren't in the children's book business if I can make two phrases and make a lot of money off it, right? Kind of goofy. It's kind of goofy. But the reason that this book is helpful for us this morning is because it leads us um, perfectly into our big idea. And our big idea is simply this, is that the gospel reveals bad news but rescues with good news. The gospel reveals bad news, but rescues with good news. And so what we need to consider this morning is the bad news that the gospel represents for us, but also that the gospel represents the very best news possible. 
right? The very best news that we can ever receive will be found in this big idea through the gospel. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3 this morning. Romans chapter 3, and while you're turning there, um, I would like to share with you uh, the theme of the book of Romans. And the theme of the book of Romans is extremely important because it helps us understand uh, what the major idea is of this entire book. All right, and the theme of the book of Romans, this, I put it in my own words here, but you can find it in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. And if you look at the very last chapter of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16, verse 26 and 27, you'll see a lot of common language between those verses. And the theme that I've established is this, is that the theme of Romans is the glory of God is demonstrated to the world by the grace he grants and the obedience he receives. Now there's some things that are really important about this theme. One is that God is totally all about his own glory. The second thing is the avenue of which God is choosing to receive glory is by what? Is by grace, right? And then our response is obedience to his grace. And the order of the events is really important. Please understand that we are not obedient to gain grace, but we are obedient because of the grace that God's already extended to us. And that order is extremely important. Right? And this theme is very clear um, in the book of Romans. And so as we study the Bible this morning, I want you to, to know that the Bible is not a record of man's search after God, but the Bible is actually a record of God's crazy pursuit of you and how much he loves you and how much he desires for you to know him. And so I'm really excited about what God has for us this morning, but I want you to know it's going to come with some bad news. We're going to look at the bad news first. In Romans chapter 3, Verse 23, it says this. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the bad news this morning. The bad news is this, is that you're not the hero. You're not the hero. And what is a hero? A hero is someone who is admired, someone who is idolized for their great courage, their outstanding achievements, their noble qualities. And the question that we need to consider is this, is how do we fall short of the glory of God? And the answer is that we fall short of the glory of God because of our love for sin. And to put it plainly, we love what God hates. Another way to word it is that we love the very thing that Jesus died for on the cross. And some of you may say, you know, Josh, um, I never really wanted to be the hero. You see, the problem with that is the Bible, because we see here in Romans 3 that we all fall short of the glory of God. That means for me and you that we're actually incapable of dealing with our spiritual sin, that we have a, a spiritual problem, and we're never able to be the hero of our own story. Because the truth about heroes is they rescue others, don't they? They rescue others, and when you think of the word hero, I don't know what comes to your mind. Maybe it's a, 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 someone from the police force or a fireman, or maybe it's a, some sort of superhero that wears a cape and jumps from building to building. Whatever it is that you think of, I want you to understand that we fail at the role of being hero. You see why? Because we're sinners. And what is sin? Sin is living for the glory of God, or the glory of us over the glory of God. And so to help us understand how much of a sinner we are, is we need to turn back to Romans 1 because Romans 3.23, when it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is actually summing up Romans 1, 2, and 3. Right? This is like a big climax in the book of Romans here, Romans 3.23. And so we need to understand what it is that Paul's been building up to to get us to this point. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go back to Romans chapter 1 with me. Because we're going to see how Paul tells us more about how we fall short. Let's take a look at uh, verse 19. 
It says this in Romans 1.19, For what can be made known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. All right, so uh, verse 20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without what? What does it say? Excuse. So in verse 19, if we go back to that verse, it says that God has made himself known to us. That simply means this, that God has made us aware that he's there. That we are aware that he is there. And so what's going to happen here in this text is we're going to see this downward spiral of sin develop. And it starts, the first step of the downward spiral is that God's made, us, made himself known to us and we've said, no thank you. I'm going to do my own thing, God. I'm going to go my own way. And so we sin by failing to acknowledge that he's there. Like we live life like he's not. And so if you look at verse 21 with me, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, what we're going to see here in Romans chapter 1 is that this is our best attempt at hijacking the role of hero. This is our best attempt at making it all about us. And we see here in verse 21 that we, we know God, it says, but we're not honoring him or giving thanks to him. And so we start with God making himself known, making us aware of him. We push him away. It then goes to us not honoring God, not giving thanks to God. You see, this isn't, this isn't a place that stays in one spot. Sin keeps taking us deeper and deeper and deeper, more and more into enslavement. And so our attempt at hijacking the role of hero never, ever works. And so here's the truth about sin, is that sin takes us farther than we want to go, keeps us longer than we want to stay, and costs us more than we want to pay every single time. Right? It always, always keeps us longer. It always takes us farther. It always costs us more every time. It's a downward spiral that ends poorly for us. There's a zero success rate with, with human beings trying to be the hero. It hasn't worked for anybody, but yet we so quickly go back to doing that. And so when you get to verse 21, not only do we not honor him or give thanks to him, but verse 21 says that we become futile in our thinking. And this is an amazing phrase because literally it just means this, that we make up religions that give us a bigger role. That we so desire a role, we so desire to be the hero that we're going to make up other things outside of God's style that will give us a bigger role, that will focus in and center around us. And so we make up these philosophies and these religions. I want you to know that there's a big difference between the gospel and religion. Religion is about you doing. That you have to do all these things to obtain something. But I want you to know that the gospel is screaming that it's already been done. And those two things are totally different. And so because we become futile in our thinking in verse 21, it says that their foolish hearts were darkened. The KJV describes this as that they become, we become vain in our imaginations. The New Living Translation says that they begin to think up foolish ideas about God and as a result their, mar, their minds are dark and enslaved. If you look at verse 21, it says our hearts are Darkened, And this refers to further enslavement, continuing to go down this projection of us choosing sin. And so guess what happens next? We get towards the bottom of the downward spiral. In verse 23, it says, And they exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. 
Verse 25 says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. So this is the bottom of the downward spiral. This is what happens, is that we, we exchange God for a lie. What are we exchanging? We're exchanging the truth about God, it says, and the glory of God, right, for a lie. So that means we're exchanging the truth about who God is. We're exchanging the truth about what God has done for a simple lie. And so I would say this, at the bottom of the downward spiral of sin here in Romans 1 actually leads to idolatry. What is idolatry? The best definition of idolatry I know is this. Idolatry is taking a good thing, making it a God thing. That's a bad thing. Idolatry is taking a good thing, making it a God thing. That's a bad thing. So this exchange that we're making always leads to idolatry. What's an exchange? An exchange is the act of giving up one thing to receive another. And so we're giving up God to gain something else. And this exchange always leads to idolatry. And I want to be very clear with you this morning that this exchange is actually nothing new. That this exchange actually, actually took place in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. You see, what was the lie that Adam and Eve believe? Adam was told to be free. Adam was told to have dominion. Adam was told to rule. Adam was told to multiply. He was told he could eat of any tree in the garden, any tree in the north, south, east, west, under one condition, as a symbol to demonstrate that he was under the rule of God, that he was over creation, but still part of creation, that he owed his life and his allegiance to God. God said, you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. And so what did God do? God warned him. I want you to know that God warns us as well. In Romans 1 verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, and unrighteousness of men. That simply means this, that because of our sinfulness, the wrath of God is coming. And people get upset about that. I thought God was a God of love. Here's the reality. By God telling us that his wrath is coming, that's an act of his love. He is totally warning us. Remember that we're enemies of God. That we've pushed him away. We do our own thing. And so the result is that God is saying, hey, I love my enemies so much, I'm going to tell them my game plan, that my wrath has to come. How did God warn Adam? God simply said to Adam, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. So was God being a big jerk, or was God demonstrating that he loves him? He was demonstrating that he loved him, right? He was warning him that if you choose this, it's not going to go good. And so what was God looking for in Adam? God was simply looking for obedience. What is the theme of Romans? The glory of God is demonstrated to the world by the grace he grants and the obedience he receives. And so Adam, you are free to do anything you want in this whole garden. You can do anything you want except one simple thing. And so that meant for Adam, if he did anything but eat of the tree, he was actually being obedient, wasn't he? And so for Adam in that moment, as he's standing at that tree, he had everything to lose, nothing to gain by eating of that fruit. And because of that choice, things didn't go well. Because the tree stood as a limitation. It represented something for Adam, something that he was not allowed to do. He realized by that tree that there was a boundary And he had to be thinking in his mind, just like we do at times, that I hate the fact that God is sovereign. 
that God is in control, that God has all the authority. And that's exactly what he's seeking because he made the choice to choose sin. And the result of that is Romans chapter 5, verse 12, where it tells us this, that therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So let's review what's happened in the garden so far. God created Adam, which is grace. God told Adam to have dominion, which is grace. God told Adam to rule, which is grace. God gave Adam a wife, which is grace. God told him to multiply, which is grace. And God expected obedience in return. You see, Adam thought he was getting the raw end of the deal. And so because of his sinful choice, guess what happened? Death spread to all men. Death spread to all men. And so what is the lie that Adam believed? The lie was this, is that what God was offering was not what was best for him. That God's way is not best. And if I do my own thing, I will then be happy. And so I want you to understand that we fail to understand that when God gets the glory, the result for me and you is joy. When God gets the glory, the result is good for us. And so I want to ask you this question. What lies are you believing this morning? Maybe it's a lie that you're actually living Right now, you've exchanged the truth about God. You've exchanged who God is and what God has done for a lie. Because what we typically believe, and the reason that we make exchanges like this is because we believe that God should be about our happiness and not our holiness. And so what happens is is because I'm not happy, I'm going to make exchanges to try to search for happiness. And so what happens is that these lies then become my identity. These lies then become the very thing that define us. And I want you to understand something, that you, you, um, who you are determines what you do. That from your identity flows your activity. Right? The very thing that I have on the throne of my life is the very thing that is my life's going to center on. Why? Because what's on the throne of my life motivates me. And so if you have a lie sitting on the throne of your life, you're going to make every life decision based on that lie. And there's some of you here who have experienced this very thing. And so whatever sits on that throne motivates you in how you live. It motivates every single decision. And so some of you are in a position where you're, you're saying, you know what, I'm going to live, I'm gonna live with my boyfriend or girlfriend because I want to be happy because God's not making me happy. I want you to understand something. You're robbing yourself of joy. Some of you are in a position, you're saying, man, I'm going to find happiness outside of my spouse. You're robbing yourself of joy. Some of you are saying, man, I wish I was married. I wish God would give me a, a, a spouse, someone that I could have companionship with. And so what you do is you lower the standard that God has for you because you want to pursue happiness. You're robbing yourself of what? Joy. Some of you are in a position where you want more stuff. And so you're going to go in deep debt to gain more stuff because you think the lie of materialism that, you know, man, if I just have more stuff, I'm going to be happy. You know what you're robbing yourself of? Joy. Some of you aren't leading your families well because you're pouring your life into your work. Because you're pursuing happiness, but you're forgetting that you're robbing yourself of joy. And so what is the lie? Back to verse 25. It says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. What does that mean? It means that we serve creation over the creator. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 is a profound verse. It simply says this, that God has placed eternity in your heart. So that means that every single person in this room and every single person on the planet, whether you love God or don't love God or wherever, wherever you are spiritually, simply means this, that God has placed eternity in your heart and so you are on a mad search for something that's going to fill that eternal value. You're looking hard for it. And so what typically happens for me and you, those of us who are church people, is that we end up loving God's stuff more than him. We end up loving creation more than the creator. And we fail to remember that creation's ultimate goal is to point us back to the creator. That creation is not a goal within itself. And so here's the lie that that we believe, the exchange that we so often make is simply this, that more of what I already possess that does not provide happiness and satisfaction will somehow provide happiness and satisfaction. That more of, the more of the things that I have that don't provide happiness, if I get more of that, maybe I will be happy. So I have this relationship. It's not making me happy. So if I get a new relationship, maybe I'll be happy. I have this house. I can't stand this house. It just stinks. So if I get a new house, maybe I'll be happy. Or if I have this job, man, my, the people I work with are, are just punks. If I had a new job, then maybe I'll be happy. See, it's this exchange that we constantly make. And we constantly make things exchange within creation, going from one creative thing to another, looking for what? Something of eternal value. And so where are you searching right now for purpose and happiness? Because I want to inform you. I want to beg you. I want to tell you that the eternal value that you're looking for is found in one person and one person only, and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because only in Jesus do we experience something better than happiness, and it's called joy. So here's the thing. Why do we settle for things that are so lame? Why settle for things like happiness when I can have something called joy? You see, happiness and joy aren't even close to the same thing. Happiness depends upon happenings. When I was 12 years old, my mom asked me to make a Christmas list. Ever made a Christmas list before? All right, she said a reasonable Christmas list. And I received everything I asked for on that list. And I was happy. And then February came around, and I didn't care anymore. Right? Why was I happy? Because something happened. I got every gift that I wanted for that Christmas that year when I was 12 years old. I want you to know something. That joy is totally different than happiness. That joy is the thing that we should be searching. And joy is actually a fruit of the Spirit, which means this, that it can only be found in one person. And so that means when your world's been turned upside down and things are going horribly bad for you, you know what you can still experience in that moment? Joy. So why do we settle for things that, that stink? Things that are so lame, like happiness. The reality is God's put eternity in your heart and you're searching for something that can fill that void. But because of Adam's sin, we are sinners. And we do the same thing that Adam does. We exchange the truth about God for a lie and the result for us is that we're sinners. The theological way to say it is this, is that we're not able to not sin. We're not able to not sin. And because of your sinful choices, we're not going to take time to read it. And because of my sinful choices, in verse 24, in verse 26, and in verse 28 of Romans 1, we see this phrase, that God gave them up. This is God's passive wrath in play. God is saying, fine, you want to search for something so lame as happiness? You want to fall in love with my creation more than me? I'm just going to step away and let you do that and watch you go down this, this downward spiral of sin. Sin takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. And God's like, fine, I'm going to let you do it. Go pursue it. Go do what you want to do. 
And what we're learning is that when we play the role of hero, things go badly and they always end in misery. I spent a lot of uh, last year in, in Seattle. I was doing some schooling there. And I went with a group of guys to a Chinese restaurant. I'm a kind of a sucker for Chinese food. And uh, there's not really been a lot of good places for it in Raleigh, um, which is okay. But um, I, we went to this Chinese restaurant, and we got the fortune cookie at the end of our meal, right? I'm not a big fortune cookie fan, um, just in case you didn't know it. That's really an American idea, so if that crushes all your hopes and dreams, I'm sorry. Um, but I did get the best fortune I've ever received that day. And um, because I disagree with the fortune, but I believe in our world it's true. The fortune simply said this. It said, it's impossible to please everybody. Therefore, please yourself first. And I'm like, I'm great at this. Like, this is awesome. I can fulfill this right now. I've already done this for a lot of my life. We could all get, become the team at Southbridge that likes to please themselves. And we could get the same jerseys with our names on back. We could be awesome, right? Because we're all good at it. We're all pro at doing that. Because that's opposite of humility. That's pride, right? Pride is living for the glory of me and my kingdom. Humility is living for the glory of God in his kingdom. And the truth is that we desire a bigger role. And so we go outside of God's style to try to find that. And because of this, we get Romans 1.18 where it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God. Simply means, simply means this, that um, we are okay with our sin. That we don't view our sin the same way that God does. And so because of that, you need to understand that the greatest crime of all time must be punished by the greatest penalty of all time. And so the wrath of God is coming and people want to say, God, want to say, Josh, but God's a God of love. And I agree. But did you know this? That the Bible talks about God's wrath three times more than it talks about any other subject. And so if you want to know what the wrath of God looks like, you look to the cross. If you want to know what the love of God looks like, you look to the cross because it's at the cross of Christ that the love of God and the wrath of God collide. If you want to understand the love of God, you cannot understand the love of God unless it is taught in contrast with the depths of his wrath. But these things go hand in hand. And it's important that we always remember that. And so because of our sin, our moralism, our unrighteousness, these new religions that we make up to give ourselves a bigger role, 323, right? We all fall short of the glory of God. But when you turn to Romans chapter 3, which I'd encourage you to do, we can take a look at verse 10 together. It says this, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So what did Paul just tell us? He said, he said this, that you'll never seek God. You'll never search him out. And then he says this kind of almost like a hurtful phrase where he says that we together have become worthless. It's like, okay, Paul, I get it. We're a bunch of jerks, sinners, and punks. I get it, Paul. Paul's like, no, 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 you don't get it yet. Let me tell you more about your sinfulness. Let me tell you more about your brokenness because you don't quite understand it yet. And he goes on, starting in Romans chapter 3, verse 13, and he starts to list all these body parts. He says, your throat, your tongues, your lips, your mouth, your feet, where you go, your eyes have no fear of God in them. He lists all these parts of our body that are sinful disasters. And you get to verse 20. 
And it says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes, what does it say? Knowledge of sin. That means this, that my best effort, my best attempt at being the role of hero always leads to failure. I never actually achieve the very thing that I'm looking for. It always ends in misery. And to be honest, this is why we love superhero movies, right? Because we like to wear capes and jump around and we want to conquer the world, right? Last summer, a superhero movie came out called Avengers. And in that movie, there's a character named Tony Stark, who's Iron Man. And the bad guy in that movie, his name is Loki. And Iron Man, Tony Stark, turns to Loki, the bad guy, and he says this, Hey, Loki, that there's not a version of this where you're going to end up on top. Is that exactly what Paul's telling us? Hey, Josh, Toby, there's not a version of this. When you try to do this on your own merit, there's not a version that you're going to end up on top. And so what is Paul doing here? Paul is backing every one of us as sinners into a dark corner, an inescapable corner of God's wrath. And then he's going to open up a window that's going to usher in the beauty and the light of God's amazing grace. Remember the big idea that the gospel reveals bad news, but it totally rescues with good news. It rescues with good news. And so here we go. Verse 23, Romans 3, 23. Everyone follow along with me. It says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, question. Does that end in a period there? Is that a done statement? Is that an exclamation point? No, see, sometimes punctuation is beautiful in the Bible. Right? And for us, we have a comma, which means this, that this thought is not done. And so what's about to happen is we're about to be introduced to the hero, the hero who can take care of all your shame, who can take care of all your guilt. And the question we need to consider is this, are you ready to meet the hero? Verse 24 says this, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, here's the good news. The good news is simply this, is that Jesus Christ is the hero. Jesus Christ is the hero. And it tells us in verse 24 that we are justified. Justification refers to a transaction that takes place that changes your spiritual standing before God. And so how did our spiritual standing change? Not by what I do, but totally by what Jesus has done. And so we find life transformation at the cross of Christ. And so we need to imagine ourselves sitting in the, in the courtroom of heaven. And we're on trial for everything that we've ever done wrong. All the sins that we've carried. All the lies that we believe. All the times that we've exchanged the glory of God. That we're living like we're not aware of him. That we're not honoring him. We're not thankful for him. We become futile in our thinking. We become foolish in our hearts. We live for idols. And we know that we are guilty of everything. That we deserve the death penalty. And it's in the courtroom that day that everyone's jaw drops to the floor in utter amazement as the judge looks right at you and looks right at me and says that you are guilty of your sin and you are going to get the death penalty. And he takes his heavenly gavel and he slams it down on the desk. He then closes our book, the record of our wrongs, puts his gavel down, takes his robe off and walks right outside the door and takes the punishment that we deserve the courtroom of God. And our response is typically, okay, what do I have to do to get out of this predicament? What I love about Romans 3 so far in verse 23 and 24 and 25 and 26 is there's, doesn't, tell, doesn't tell us to do anything. It tells us that God's done everything. 
That's what we forget, right? We keep trying to force our way into the story. We keep trying to find a way to become the hero. And by doing those things, we choose sin. And sin is putting ourselves in a position that we don't belong, which is the throne of God, or the throne of our lives. And in salvation, God puts his son Jesus in a place that he doesn't belong, which is on a cross. And in glory, God puts us in a position that we don't belong, which is in his kingdom as a kingdom dweller. So we need to remember this, that redemption, according to verse 24, happens through Jesus Christ, who is the hero. And we are justified and redeemed by grace and grace alone. What is grace? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That means simply this, that the God of the Bible who shocked everyone in scripture by his amazing grace is still offering grace to to those of us who rebel against his name today in this moment. What else does this text say about grace? Look at verse 24, it says, and we are justified by his grace as a gift, it says. That grace is a gift. A gift is free. So that means for me and you that this isn't something that we can earn. This isn't something that we deserve. But we need to understand that the gift of grace cost God suffering, God sending his own son to suffer upon a cross where there's nothing left for us to pay. It's through grace that God reveals his righteousness, but also through grace that God gives us his righteousness. It's an amazing deal for us. And so when we think about this amazing grace, this free gift, we think, okay, is it, do I get this gift by my works or my efforts or my sacrifices? No, no, no. See, this gift happens by redemption and redemption only. Our next question, okay, how do I redeem? What do I need to do? And it's like, hey, you don't need to do anything. Jesus has done it all. Grace changes everything. It changes how I live. It changes how I view life. And if I want to be about my own merit, about what I can gain, the only thing I can gain under my own skin is simply condemnation. That salvation is the very thing that's provided by grace. And we need to always remember that nothing is more devastating to our spiritual pride than grace. Grace either hardens our hearts or it melts it. It's going to push you farther away from God or it's going to bring you closer to it. It destroys our spiritual pride. And I want you to know that we never, we never, ever, ever move beyond this point. Because the moment that we move beyond grace is the moment that pride swells up in my life, that idolatry starts coming back into my life is because we get this attitude of, I can take care of it. I can do it. Listen, we need grace for everything. And what do I mean by that? Every step of the salvation process, we need grace. Every step. For justification, for sanctification, for glorification, all parts of God's grace. What is justification? Justification rescues us from the penalty of sin. What is sanctification? Sanctification rescues us from the power of sin. What is glorification? Glorification rescues us from the presence of sin. Another way to say it is this. We went from being not able to not sin, justification, to being able not to sin, sanctification, to not being able to sin, which is glorification. You see the progression that's taking place there? I want you to understand something about this. It happens only by God's grace. And so at what point of this process of our salvation do we abandon God's grace? The answer is never, because grace alone is the very thing that enables me to live for my hero. And here's the truth about some of you in this room this morning. I just want to be clear and honest, is that many of you are living for your own kingdom. And within my eyes as a human being, I can look at your kingdom and say, man, your kingdom is awesome. You have all these awesome things going. 
Maybe you have a great job or you have an awesome house and you have your kids are really great and they're really gifted and they're really athletic or they're really musically talented and everyone looks at your family and is like, man, that family is awesome in world's eyes. And you're sitting on the throne of your own little kingdom and you have everyone in the whole world evolving around you because you think that you're great. But I want to be very clear with you. I know that your kingdom could look great, but here's the truth about it is that your kingdom's going to come crashing down at the feet of Jesus because only Jesus is going to receive all the glory and honor. Then we get to verse 25, which is a beautiful verse. After we learn that we are justified through grace, that we were redeemed by Jesus, verse 25 says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We hear a new word. We hear this word of propitiation. It says that we are propitiated by his blood. You can do a search in scripture to learn all these spiritual blessings that we receive by the blood of Jesus. But one of those blessings by the blood of Jesus is propitiation. And so if you have a pen, I would encourage you to get out your pen. I want you to circle the word propitiation in your Bible. And I want you to write this definition next to it. The word propitiation is simply this. It's a wrath-removing sacrifice. It's a wrath-removing sacrifice. So that means this, that justification and propitiation actually go hand in hand. That on the cross of Christ, that we are justified, which demonstrate God's love. And it's at the cross of Christ that the wrath of God is removed from us. So that means this, that when Jesus died, he paid for your past sin. He paid for your present sin. He paid for future sins that you haven't even committed yet. Which means this, that there's no sin left that needs to be paid for. Which then means that there's no wrath anymore. So these two things go hand in hand. Because the purpose of God's wrath is to reveal the awfulness of sin while all at the same time magnifying the beauty and the amazingness of God's grace. And so what is our response? Verse 27, 27 says this. It says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded, Paul says. Yeah, Paul's like, yeah, what do we have to boast about now? We'd like to boast about our own kingdom originally, but now that we realize that we're not there, but that Jesus is, it's like, hey, let's just join in that kingdom because everything that we're looking for is actually found in him. Right? Don't set up for happiness when joy can be the result, right? So we can be a part of God's kingdom, be a kingdom dweller in his kingdom because we can realize that everything I've ever been looking for of eternal value is only found in him. So I have an opportunity then to serve the hero. We need to remember this. Everyone look here, that our role starts at redemption, that's where our role starts. Our role starts when God has transformed our heart and transformed our life when we're now a kingdom dweller in this kingdom that can live a life to magnify our hero, Jesus Christ. The problem is this, is that we have a sin problem sometimes. We love sin still. But I want you to understand that if sin has no attraction to you, then it has no power over you. If sin has no attraction to you, then it has no power over you. So what do I need to do? Here's the thing. We need to, the way that our, our love for sin gets diminished is by replacing it with our love for God. And how does my love for God grow? By having a greater understanding of my need of his grace. And so we know the Apostle Paul's story. If you've been here, we've been going through the book of Acts together. And in Acts chapter 8 and 9, Paul's name is Saul, and he's someone who hates the gospel. He's going from town to town, it says, ravaging towns, looking for people who are part of the way, part of the Christian community, and he's either murdering them or throwing them in prison. But then in Acts chapter 9, God reveals his glory to him and his grace to him, and it actually melts his heart. And so all of a sudden, Paul is totally different. 
And Paul says this in Romans 1, 16, which is an important verse uh, to for important verse for us to understand, he says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, it says. What does Paul say about the gospel? Two things. First thing he says is this, is I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? I want you to understand that you will never be ashamed of the gospel when you are ashamed of your sin. You'll never be ashamed of the gospel when you realize how awful your sin is. And so Paul is fired up about the gospel. He's ready to play this amazing role in God's kingdom. He wants to live a life that's going to make much of him because he realizes that his role starts at redemption, and then he also realizes that it's a role of freedom. Freedom is fun, right? And so what's your response going to be? Because I want you to know that God is inviting you to be a part in his kingdom. He's inviting you to give you a huge role, not a small role, a huge role to live for his renown. And when you do that, it results in your good and you experience the very thing that you've been looking for your whole life, which is joy. Something of eternal value. So in this verse, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But then he says this, for it is the what? The power of God. For what? Salvation, right? This word power here is where we get our word dynamite from. And last I knew, dynamite blows junk up, Right? And so what we see here in Romans 1, Paul's like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is power, meaning it blows up, it's destructive. And so what is it destructive? What's it doing? It's blowing up your love for sin. But here's the thing about this word power. Not only is it destructive, but it's also constructive. So it blows up your love for sin while all at the same time building up your love for Jesus. That is a powerful gospel. And Paul's not ashamed of it. He is all in. He totally loves it. Because he, re- he realizes that he can now carry out the very purpose of which he was created to do. So in verse 25, we see this. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And verse 26 says, It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so what is our response? Our response is faith, which looks like what in everyday life? Submission. What is, what is submission? I'm submitting to uh, authority that's bigger than me, that's better than me. I'm, I'm, I'm yielding to a superior force. And remember our theme that God gets the glory by the grace he grants, the obedience he receives. So God gives you grace. You respond with obedience. What does that look like in everyday life? It looks like trust and submission. So I want to ask you two simple questions as we close. One question is this. What robs you of submitting your life to Jesus? In your life right now, what's robbing you of submitting your life to Jesus? Because typically the reason we won't submit to Jesus is because we believe that living for him is boring, right? Or we want to settle for things that are going to make me happy, failing to understand that happiness is lame. I want to remind you of that. And the things that rob us of submitting to Jesus is the very lies that we believe that we've created a religion that gives us a bigger role because we desire the role of hero. But please understand what Paul is saying, that when you are the hero, it ends bad. It ends terribly. And it's an eternal choice. And so Paul is begging us, please embrace the gospel because it is powerful. So what robs you of submitting to the hero? The second question is this, what makes it easy for you to submit to the hero? Paul wants you to understand that it's, hey, that he can change eternity for you. 
That I go from being a, uh, someone who's lost to someone who's found. I go from being someone who's a sinner to someone who's being a saint. That I go from being someone who's in a position of wrath to someone who's in a position of grace. All through this thing called the gospel. And Paul's inviting us to engage the truth. And the truth for me is that I'm the worst sinner I know. And then away from the gospel, I got nothing. I got nothing to live for. I have no purpose. I have no value. But if I'm in Jesus' kingdom, I have an incredible value to be a kingdom dweller to magnify my king. And by the way, once again, I get joy and it's for my good. And so I don't know where you're at in relationship with Jesus this morning. Some of you, I'm sure, have not embraced the hero Jesus Christ as the ruler of your kingdom. But here's the thing. When we embrace Jesus, he erases the need for our kingdom, invites us into his kingdom, and we can be in a position where I can confess to him, Lord, will you forgive me of my sin? Lord, will you please come into my life and be the hero of my life? And I want to embrace you because of what it is that you have done for me upon the cross. So I want you to know that you now have purpose and vision and meaning in this life. So that's an invitation to you. And if you're a believer this morning, maybe something that you're battling is that you're living a lie right now. You've exchanged the truth about God. You've exchanged what it is that God, who God is and what God has done for a lie because you're searching for happiness. Please stop it. It's not worth it. It's discouraging. It'll end in misery. So what do you need to do in your failure? You need to confess your sin because it's in our failure that the grace of God is blown out. That the glory of God is demonstrated to everybody everywhere. By helping everyone realize, yeah, that I'm not perfect, but let me tell you who is Jesus is, and he's going to redeem my life right now. And if you're in a position where you want someone to pray with you this morning, I want you to know that when you walk out these doors right to your left, the response team is there, and they're ready and willing to pray with you. If you are ready to embrace Jesus as Savior, they're willing to help you with that. If you're a believer here this morning and you've been battling a lot of lies in your life and you're living a total lie and everything decision you make in your life is based off a lie, they're there ready to pray for you and encourage you. Because we take sin seriously here at Southbridge because God does. Remember, Jesus died on the cross for it. So I want to encourage you this morning as our worship team comes that God loves you, that he's for you, and he shows us that perfectly here in Romans chapter 3. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, Lord, and the awesome opportunity that we have just to gather together. And I just want to pray for those, Lord, who don't know you as personal Lord and Savior, that they will be in a position this morning where they'll be overwhelmed by your grace, that you love them dearly, that you have a role for them to play in your kingdom, that they can be a kingdom dweller today where they can find that thing of eternal value, that they can be done with happiness and find the very thing called joy. Lord, I pray for those of us who are believers this morning and we're maybe living in a lie this morning. We're making much of something that we we should be getting rid of. And so I pray that you'll convict us this morning, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we come together to worship you right now, that we will magnify your name through song, that we will be um, unashamed of who you are and what you've done for us. And in your name, amen.